And so uh, this is the uh, first shot at doing this. I think this was like Kyle and Hannah go to the movies. Maybe that'll be the episode <laughs> that we call it now here at the Geek Rex Podcast. It's like a bonus podcast. Yeah, yeah, where we review uh, movies that we see um, that, uh, you know, are uh, worth talking about. And what we saw last night... Uh, not really a horror person at all, but we did go see a horror film. Uh, we saw John Krasinski's second film, uh, you know, Jim from The Office. Uh, he has become a director now, uh, but this is his uh, sophomore feature, A Quiet Place, which stars him, his real-life wife, right? They're married? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Emily, Emily Blunt. Blunt. Yeah, and uh, uh, Noah Jupe, who I saw in, um, Noah Jupe, whatever, who I saw in Suburbicon. Uh, the act, uh, a couple of younger actors I can't remember. Uh, the actress from uh, Wonderstruck, uh, who uh, is also one of the stars of this film, and I don't have IMDb in front of me to tell you the, her name. That's fine. I'm not going to pull it up. It doesn't matter. Uh, um, Rude. Sorry. <laughs> I'll, it'll take 20 minutes for me to look this up. Uh, but anyway, A Quiet Place. I was telling somebody uh, who was cutting my hair today about the the plot of this, and so I'm kind of practicing how to simplify this plot. Uh, basically, it's a post-apocalyptic kind of world-ending scenario. Uh, Krasinski is the father. Emily Blunt's the mother. They have three children, and it's a world where you literally cannot make a sound, uh, and you have to communicate only through um, sign language. And if you do make a sound, monsters come and eat you. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much right. I mean, there, there's not much else plot. No, 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 no other like real uh, defining feature to this plot uh, other than that basic setup, and it kind of expands from there. Yeah, an important piece of the setup is uh, we don't ever see what happens to bring down most of the world, but um, we check in with the family something like sixty days after it first starts, and then more than a year later, and. You get the impression one of the reasons that the family has managed to survive is um, their, I think their eldest child, their daughter, is deaf. And so the family communicates with sign language. Uh, And you get the impression that they've been doing this, you know, before for a long time because only 60 days into this crisis, they're already communicating with sign language. So um, that plays an important role in the plot at some point, but Millicent Simmons, that's her name. There, the daughter. Uh, the daughter. Okay. I, I, have, I have a name now. Millicent. Yeah. Millicent Simmons. Yeah, that's it's a name you don't mess around with. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right, though. It does kind of take place in the middle of the action, and I find that that's kind of been the trend with post-apocalyptic drama. Uh, you know, even go even stretching back to like, The Walking Dead and The Road, and uh, It Comes at Night, which was the movie that this sort of most immediately reminded me of. Uh, I think... The, the the review that struck me the most was we were sitting next to our pal Spencer and he had said this is the movie people thought they were getting with It Comes at Night mm-hmm. which was a It Comes at Night was a much quieter sort of more meditative indie take on a horror film yeah where but It Comes yeah. at Night you didn't ever really see creatures on screen no. like it, it felt like a kind of lower budget attempt at the same thing whereas in this film you do see plenty of creatures on screen you do you do you, you compared it to uh, a lot of the scares to like Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park yeah, yeah. The, the whole movie reminded me it's a tight movie 90 minutes so it goes really quickly and the pace is pretty um i would say high level tension throughout the entire 90 minutes 
So the movie really reminded me of the scenes in Jurassic Park where the kids are running around the kitchen and hiding from the velociraptors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It really reminded me of that for whatever reason the whole time because you basically, these creatures are blind, but they have really, really, really good senses of hearing, apparently. So it's a lot of like run, hide, wait, run, hide, wait, Um, which sounds kind of boring, but they, they managed to do it in a way that was really intense. Yeah, I think you pointed out that it was uh, the use of sound when we were talking about it last yes. night. Yes, okay, really yeah. built this movie. Uh, and yeah. I think you had, a, you had a really great point about that. So what, what I was thinking with that one is that with horror movies, the way that the film editors, director, everybody involved, the way that they use sound often has a really important impact on staging scares in the film, right? Like they'll kind of do dramatic music, silence, loud noise, jump scare... Um, Sometimes they use sound even to trick the audience into jumping and scaring. And with this film, because it's predicated on the idea that there is absolute silence all the time, noises are genuinely scary, not in a way that make you feel like you've been tricked, but in a way that you know, oh, shit, someone's going to (laughs) die because they made a loud noise, basically. So it kind of has this double effect um, kind of the the actual effect intended by the plot, but then the side effect of how we're trained to respond to sound in horror films. Yeah, and I think that may have had an effect on me. Um, I, like I said up, at the, up front here, I'm not a horror fan in most respects, and I think like I, I prefer when when I when I see a horror film that I enjoy, it tends to be something along the lines of um, I don't know, The Witch, something mm-hmm. that's really just eerie. And creepy imagery yeah like that that affects me more generally than these like kind of jump scare horror films which this is this feels a little more of a piece with I, I don't want to call it like the grudge or some boo scary movie like that but like maybe like an alien um yeah I mean where like there's something hiding around the corner like a haunted it, house kind of thing yeah, yeah yeah and it's like you're being pursued and that there there's a lot of that in this movie and uh, it Sometimes that works for me, but it's more in the rare occasions when it does. So I think that speaks a little bit to Krasinski's credit behind the camera. Um, And and it's... I struggled a little bit with this movie because it feels like it's like a tale of two different directors. Like, I got the sense that Krasinski... Uh, probably discovered something new about himself as a horror filmmaker here, whereas his previous film was like a straight, like kind of southern fried drama. What was his previous film uh, again? The Hollers. Okay. Something like that. Um, and it was a movie that was not well received. I was going to say, it sounds like one that came and went. <laughs> yeah, it was one of these movies that one critic had said, I think Krasinski needs to give up on this directing thing. Ooh. <laughs> but suddenly with this, it, you know, he, he sort of found himself, I think, as a different kind of filmmaker. And maybe, maybe he kind of found his calling a little bit. But that's not to say that there's not some weaknesses in the film. Uh, and I'll touch on those when we get there. But I guess uh, the thing that really struck me, too, about this movie was it's rare that I see a horror film that gives me a sense of, I, whoa, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are moments within A Quiet Place that uh, there is at least one notable sequence where I say, that's pretty inventive. All right. And, and just to give you guys the background for what that is... Um, so, the, 
it's no spoiler to sort of say that uh, you, you get the first, you open with like 80 days into the film or 60 days into the film. I can't remember the number. And then it pushes forward into about 300 days. Yeah, something a little over a year, I think. And it's, of course, because of a great tragedy that occurs uh, within their family. And so, in turn, uh, they are expecting another child within that year. And uh, Emily Blunt's character is pregnant. And so, the sequence that I that really stuck out with me, there's a point where, of course, you know, she's pregnant. It's kind of its own Chekhov's gun. Her water is going to break yeah. at some and point. Instead of like a 52-hour birth or whatever. Yeah. Of course, in a movie with a horror film and about not making noise, right. her uh, her labor will last for all of 20 minutes or something. Right. As, as they do. But, but, but you know, she's, she's trying not to make noise at the same time because one of these creatures is in the house. And that's a really good, tense sort of... Uh, oh my God, what is she going to do? Because it, childbirth, one of the most painful things, uh, you know, a human body can, can, can endeavor upon. Well, not to mention once the baby's out, babies scream, babies cry, babies yell. So the baby itself is this kind of object of terror within the film. It feels like a ticking time bomb yes. waiting for this baby. And yes. how are they going to handle it? Yes. Which... On the one hand, I think was a an interesting device to add like fear and complication to the plot. Yeah. On the other hand, you're kind of wondering like how irresponsible is this family that like they're bringing a, a newborn infant into a world where you can't make noise and they're going to endanger the whole rest of their family. Yeah, I mean, my, my theory about that is, and it's a very weak, based on one context clue theory, is that they might be a, a family of faith, and so that is if you were to, you know, continue life, uh, you know, that, that you're, you're going to have that baby most likely. It just seems like the only explanation for a decision that, uh, reckless, yeah. you know, especially only a year in, like you'd think they'd want to wait and see, you know, do humans eventually triumph over this situation? Maybe just wait until it won't potentially kill your whole family to have a screaming infant in the house. Didn't that, that that dumb show, The Walking Dead, have a baby involved too at some point? Like, didn't didn't she so. get pregnant? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, why would you do in the middle of a zombie apocalypse? I think we abandoned before that, but I mean, this is even worse because yeah. you can't control a baby's sound level. Uh, like, yeah. that's just yeah. Oof. And they have some kind of like half baked ideas to control it, but yeah, it, 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 it. I will say to your point, like I spent the entire movie worried about the baby more than really anybody else. Though I, you know, there's like a a sense of defenselessness to that to that to to a, to a child. So you're always worried that like you know, a hackneyed filmmaker is going to go after that baby, mm-hmm. and that's going to be kind of where this thing goes. But um, you know, to to the film's credit, they find other ways to sort of build suspense and terror, and I think that's what makes this movie work. Um, especially, I think from Emily Blunt, who's probably the best actor in the troupe. She's for sure the MVP of this film. I mean, Krasinski's obviously stepped up as a director, mm-hmm. and he does a really good job as a director, and I think co-author of the script too. Yeah, it sounds right. I think he's a co-author. Um, however. As an actor in the film, I could take or leave him, honestly. He was kind of, he was supposed to be in a role that was pretty emotionally important. And I'm not sure if it was the way that story was written, the way it was acted, or both. But I didn't feel anything at all from his whole arc. Um, He was just, he was playing it so stoically 
it's kind of like Jim shrugging at the camera. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's not because I can't get past his office role or I see him that way. It's just that he just wasn't, it, he just didn't feel very involved. I don't know how else to describe it. I thought he was fine. I mean, as as a stoic father trying to teach his son, less so his daughter, I guess, his son how to survive in this world, uh, his very terrified son, uh, I thought that worked out pretty okay. I, I was buying it. Um, certainly, he's not the caliber of actor as Emily Blunt, so it's kind of hard to sort of compare, but I thought he was fine. Where the movie struggles for me is when they try to build this emotional connection between he and the daughter. Well, yeah, it's not even a connection. It's like, a, you know, they start out on kind of really shaky grounds in terms of their relationship. But it's so muddy and unclear if their shakiness is because of a grudge he holds for something in the past. If it's because he's concerned about her because she can't hear and yeah. he's worried that she's going to get herself into trouble at some point with these creatures. If it's some kind of weird misogynistic thing where like, I will teach my boy how to fish, but yeah. I won't teach my girl because girls have to stay home. Yeah. It was like, there were like four options and I never really understood what was wrong with them. Only that I was supposed to perceive something was wrong and it was never really resolved or, you know, made clear. Yeah. Well, I, I think the ending of the film tries to hint at it, like you know, to the very, very end of the film. But it's it's still like I I have to parse through it. It's kind of like why are they having that baby. I'm having to figure out why that is. Yeah. Which is All the not, motivations are just really unclear, which, which is fair in a movie bad. where no one can talk. Yeah. It's also just not bad. Like I'm of two minds about that because I also I, I tend to think that a movie that helped it requires me to figure it out, I sometimes appreciate. I don't think this movie is smart enough for me to, to spend that kind of brain power on. Uh, there, there are other films that have no context clues for things that rely on the audience to kind of like uh, use elliptical storytelling mm. uh, that work better. Because this movie's kind of dumb. That's not bad. Yeah. It's just, I, I can't imagine that Jim Halpert had those ideas uh, when he was putting it together. I'm going to make this thing as opaque as possible. So everyone's Yeah. Call <laughs> him Jim Halpert. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just don't think he had... I can't imagine that that was what was going through his mind when he was making this. I don't know. I, it, I, think, I think I saw two or three different people listed on the script credits. Yeah. And it kind of felt that way. Like there was this really cool tool or device to use for the sound and make it a horror film in that way and then there was this kind of dramatic thing going on with the family and then there was also this baby and yeah. they felt like very separate stories right. and probably for the sake of keeping the film tight and quick and you know not draggy they decided to eliminate probably some stuff that would have cleared that up is my guess there's definitely a scene missing yeah. involving the mother and the daughter there's no doubt and it's it's a little it's it, that's the point of the movie like i can forgive i can forgive like the really dumb like writing uh, where it tries to set the whole scene for the audience. Like, what are the weaknesses? It doesn't yeah. like sound. I mean, they, they literally use... Well, and they, I guess they have to because there's no conversations. They use, like, stage decoration or, like, set decoration to, to fill in the audience. Lots of, of course, 
lots of uh, newspapers posted on the wall, lots of random thoughts that the characters are having written down and pasted on the wall. Lots yeah. of internal kind of discussions happening in the form of it's up on a wall. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, 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 that, that happens with their calendar too regarding the baby's birth. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that like, uh, it, it's, 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 it's a matter of showing, uh, and not telling, uh, but this, this is this is the kind of showing that doesn't really work because <laughs> it's, yeah. it's written showing, so it's just telling, just not verbally. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but I, I can forgive those dumb things, like just those broad, broad moments that play to like your audience member who just is not gonna follow uh, these movies because that 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 will happen. But. Uh, it's it's that 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 missing scene in the middle is my biggest complaint. I think about the movie in general. It's just it, there's a moment where it's almost like they forget they have kids. Yeah, that's true. Um, Except the baby, of course. You know, an unrelated note, but you mentioned the idea of kind of dumbing things down for audiences or whatever. One one concern I had walking into this movie was we've seen some films recently. Annihilation is a really good example where the audience thinks they're getting one thing they get another and they're kind of restless yeah. and you end up seeing like conversations take place, people playing on their phones. Right. I was really worried we'd have a problem with this film in that regard. Um, it seemed like the kind of movie where people would all of a sudden realize there was no noise and then get kind of bored. Um, yeah. Fortunately, it was not at all that way. I mean, there were definitely people like yelling at the screen in the way that you do sometimes at horror movies, like don't go in there, don't do that, or do this. Right. But everyone was incredibly engaged with the film. Yeah, and it's hard for me to to sort of draw the line there. Is it like people that were excited about seeing this movie because it was like a free screening, or is it? And Annihilation was a free screening. True. It was still a disaster. Yeah, that was that was a mess. But <laughs> this this one is like there's enough going on yeah. that if you're worried about that at all, I don't think I'd be worried. It's, yeah. It's like nonstop action pretty much from the moment it starts. There's maybe be 10 or 15 minutes of downtime max in the whole thing. It's very, it's very fleet. Like it's kind of crazy, like how yeah. quickly that movie moves and it's only 90 minutes long, yeah. which is, uh, you know, I think every movie should be 90 minutes almost. I mean, it's great. <laughs> I mean, when I think back on it, some of the stuff that felt like kind of the peak of the action was happening maybe halfway into the film. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, but really, the action doesn't stop. Yeah. I mean, the like from the beginning, the prequel, the prologue scene to you know the middle middle bits and you know the farm. I mean, there's really maybe one kind of slowdown, and it's probably the low point of the film where the drama kicks in. Mm -hmm. But even then, you know, it was short enough that people are forgiving because I think the film has enough of an atmosphere that that Krasinski and company set up that people are always on edge about what's going to happen to these characters. And all the characters are at least likable enough mm -hmm. that, and you get enough to hang on that nobody feels like cannon fodder. Yeah. Uh, or who's going to make a noise and how. Like yeah. the film does a really good job at introducing just very mundane elements that you know Oh, that could that could kill them. Like uh, well, some batteries. You see some of, batteries. Speaking of Chekhov's guns, there's a few of those. There's in tons this movie. in this movie. Every, you, you know, you see you see some batteries, and you think, uh oh. Uh, you see a, a rusty nail, and you think, uh oh. I see, mean, there's just little a things. A flooding uh, water thing. Yeah, yeah broken yeah, pipe. Yeah. Anytime you see anything happening on screen, because almost everything makes noise, 
you're thinking this is going to get somebody killed. Yeah, I mean, it, it, every Chekhov's gun gets fired. I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and the thing is that I think the film is a little knowing about what it's doing too. Like there are shots where it's it's pretty much just toying with the audience to say. Yep, that's happening. Yeah. I mean, it, that, and, that's and happening. it worked because yeah. then those things come up later, and the whole audience was like freaking out, yelling in anticipation. I mean, I don't think I've seen a thing, a funnier thing in a horror movie, or at least like a moment that didn't make me at least chuckle pretty well to myself than John Krasinski running to that farmhouse with a shotgun in his hand with fireworks going off all around him. It was like an action movie spectacle. And I think the movie knew it was doing that. No, it totally did. And this is a, this is a complete aside, but when we walked out of the film, one of the first things I said to Kyle was that I'm really glad we didn't get John Krasinski cap because I don't think that would have been good. Like he was, he was okay in this movie at best. But he, it was funny because he's got the same kind of look that you see Cap having in Infinity Wars where he's got like big yeah, beard and, yeah. uh, you know, he looks like a chopping wood kind of guy. <laughs> and he's, he's pretty broad and muscular and he's kind of quiet and strong, that type. And it just it would not have worked nearly as well. Yeah, so yeah. I, I still think an Emily Blunt Black Widow would have been amazing, but I think we dodged a bullet with the John Krasinski Cap. So we're at the 20-minute mark, which is probably a pretty good place to uh, kind of wrap things up. What are your final thoughts on A Quiet Place? I would definitely recommend it. It is one I would recommend in theaters mm-hmm. because I thought the audience participation in that film is excellent. I think it really added to the atmosphere. Um, it's quick. It's, you know, it's straightforward and simple, but um, its use of sound is so effective. I'm actually really curious to see what Harper thinks of this movie. I, that's exactly what I was thinking. I think it's going to be a new favorite uh, area of sound design for him, especially the way it uses uh, uh, Miss Simmons' uh, character and her uh, inability to hear. Uh, that, that that plays into what we hear out of the, the film's uh, you know, recordings and stuff. So, like, when... Um, like we'll hear something from the sun when we're focused on the sun. Like will he be able to hear what he can hear? Right, the and point we, of view of the yeah. character when it's in her point of view, yeah. you hear nothing at all. Yeah, because that's there brilliant. there is ambient noise, of course. I mean, the creatures won't come kill you if you like, you know, walk on grass. I mean, there's a level of noise that's yeah. acceptable. Yeah. So you realize, even though you think things are pretty silent with the other characters. There's a real difference between that kind of silence and the actual silence that she's uh, experiencing. Yeah, it's it, Harper's going to eat this one up, which is really good, and I'm excited to get his take on it. Uh, I'm glad we didn't spoil anything in this podcast, uh, so we he didn't, didn't have it ruined. We didn't, <laughs> and I think his, he won't have to edit much, so it should be okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, A Quiet Place, uh, John Krasinski, uh, maybe a new horror uh, filmmaker making legend in the in the in the works here. We'll He's, see. He's got some talent there. I'm I'm interested to see what he does next. Way more behind the camera than in front of the camera, Definitely. to be honest. Definitely. Um, and when does this come out? Friday. This comes out, this comes out actually tonight, Thursday tonight. Okay. But yeah, Friday technically is the uh, opening day. April what? Uh, April seventh. Yeah. Oh, April sixth. April sixth. Yeah. And uh, you know, ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So it seems like a whole lot of other people agree with us too. Yeah. This is a really fun one. There's really not a lot out right now that's incredibly interesting. So I think this is like a really 
a really nice film to catch if you're looking to see something in the theaters. Every year we get an early year good horror film, and I think this is the one. Yeah, I, I'll be interested to see if it holds up as the one. It's it's definitely less in the in the usual like quiet indie genre. Mm -hmm. It's it's a lot more action based. A little more like um, it follows. Or get out yeah, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And same same sort of audience pitch, I think. Which. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it's going to be one that's going to find an audience, if not in theaters, then certainly uh, on uh, you know future viewings. I think I think it's going to have a long life. Maybe we'll see it at Harper's Halloween party. Maybe, maybe <laughs> uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Anyway, quiet place this weekend. Go see it.